Well, it looks like someone's already for a question. So, and if anyone wants me to pull up any different slides, by all means, just let me know. And just to repeat, uh, the microphone is up here. Um, so please come and ask your questions. Uh, when you ask a question, please state your name. Uh, first two, please. You want name and what? Just your name. Oh, okay. We don't my need my name is Joe Anglin. And what I want to ask you a question about is the independence of the ISO. Sure. And I want you to comment on this. Uh, in November 2007, the Alberta Court of Appeal ruled the apprehension of bias against the ISO. And when you look at the records of 2005, on page 505 to 509 of the transcripts, these are official testimonies of ASO, their pay incentives, the executive pay incentives, incentives were attached to an Altalink approval of an Altalink line. And my question to you is, if the court has ruled bias against the ASO, and pay incentives are based on Altalink's lines being approved, of course, Altalink makes bonuses on spending our money, and the current law, Bill 50, specifically states the board shall not um, refuse the approval of an application. I want to know where our rights are and where the independence of ASO lies. Sure, I can do my best to answer that for you, Joe. Um, to speak to the um, AUC hearing that you're referring to in regards to the Calgary to Edmonton line, I believe is the project you were talking to. No, Court of Appeal. The Court of Appeal in regards to that project? No, in regards to the apprehension of bias. Was it, sorry, I'm just clarifying. Was it in regards to the Calgary to Edmonton project, though? No, it was in regards to ASO being biased. From what, from what I recall, and we might have to get clarification for you on this besides me, but what I understand it was that the AUC was found at fault during that process, but not the ISO. ASO intervened. You need to check the court case. Okay, fair enough. Like I said, I can look at that for you. I, oh, I you don't need to. I, I know the case. Okay, okay well, we need, to let, we need to let her answer, so. Um, as for um, executive... Uh, incentive programs are, I can speak to my incentive program, which is based on performance. I cannot speak to the executive incentive program. Uh, and, um, you know, the independence of the ISO. So we are, our chairman of our board is appointed by the Minister of Energy. The remainder of the board is chosen through a recruitment process. In our mandate, we are mandated to work in the best interest of Albertans, and that is what we do. We are a not-for-profit organization. We have no financial ties to the industry. Like I said, we don't own anything. We don't build anything. We, the only assets we really have are the employees. So we are an independent operator of the system. Should I get a follow-up? <clears throat> Is it quick? Sure. I'm always quick. <laughs> if you just speak into the for everybody, yeah. if everyone, when they're asking a question, if they can speak into the microphone so that we can pick it up okay. appropriately. No, I'm just curious because it's on record. It's part of the testimony. Somebody's not telling the truth. But if you find if your bonuses are based on approving lines for Altalink, how can you say there's not a financial interest? And like I said, Joe, I can't speak to the transcript because I haven't read them. But I'm happy to follow up with you on that question. I just I can't answer it, and I wouldn't want to give you misinformation. So I am happy to follow up with you after this presentation when I can get the appropriate answer. Are you okay with that? Well, I'd like to ask another question. No one else we're gonna have to, we're, yeah, we're going to have to let someone else come up. But thanks, Joe, for your question. Anybody going else to ask a question? Would you like me to ask another? 
Okay, I'll ask another. Actually, there's a gentleman right here who's okay. going to ask me a question. Did you have... What, did you actually, Dom was just going to address one thing, Joe, my colleague. Thank you. If I could just add further to that point, the ISO has a bonus structure very similar to other organizations, to, um, similar to other organizations. So we have a bonus structure in place, but by no means is that based on projects. That's based on performance. Well, we're going to get to the next question. Uh, please state your name, Thanks, speak to the microphone, and here we go. Thank you. I'm, um, my name is Mark Sabrin. I just had a question on Southern Alberta and the transmission capability. Mm -hmm. um, I think during your presentation you had mentioned there's about 7,000 megawatts of uh, potential generation power that potentially could come on for wind. Mm -hmm. um, we just completed, or uh, one of the companies is in the process of completion, a line from Pincher Creek to Lethbridge. Lethbridge, yeah, that's the southern, southwestern project, yeah. correct. On that one, how much of that 7,000... Will it be able I to believe handle? that line has about a thousand megawatt capacity. Okay. I believe, yes. And and, then, and also sorry. that Mata line has a three hundred megawatt capacity. And they it's up to them to they will sell the capacity of that line. Yeah, I'm aware of the Mata line. Okay. The potential loop that mm -hmm. may, uh, may go, what capability capacity would that have? I believe the expectation from the ISO is about twenty four hundred megawatts. That it, that project is being staged though. So it's not going to be built all at once. What we've done is we've secured, we've approved the need for all of it, and we will um, hopefully get approval for the facilities for all of it, but it will be a staged process. So we will build it in three stages as we need it. So we may never get to that third stage if that amount of wind doesn't actually come onto the system. Okay, so the tie-in to when that would get built would continue to be spread by these uh, private companies that want to bring on wind. Exactly. And, and so if it gets approved, so where it is now is the need for that line has been approved. Like I said, we had a hearing in June, a regulatory hearing at the AUC. The AUC approved our need for the project on September the 8th of 2009. So now um, we've directed Altalink to go out and work with landowners to try and cite that line. At the end of their consultation, they will um, create a facilities application and present that to the AUC. If it is approved, then construction would begin on that line okay. in a stage process. Right. So in just rough terms, I think on your slide it had from 2010 to 2013. Mm -hmm. So is it anticipated it would be built by 2013 or...? Originally, the target date, we call that an in-service date. So that would be when the line is actually energized. Yeah. Um, but that will depend on the facilities process. Yeah. So if it ends up in a regulatory hearing, which it potentially could, that could then delay the timeline for when it could be built. That line that you referred to from Lethbridge to Pincher Creek, that need was approved... I want to say close to four years ago. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm worried. Five years ago. Yeah, it does take time. So that's, you know, where we are right now. Unfortunately, it takes, you're looking at from the moment of, of identifying the need to actually having an energized transmission line could be anywhere from three to six years with consultation, regulatory processes. So it's a long, yeah. you don't get transmission built overnight. Right. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Th thanks, Mark, for your question. Thank you. Doing Pendergast, uh, Leanne. A few years ago, the AESO had a cap on wind power of around 900 megawatts, I believe. Mm -hmm. And the government uh, lifted that. Now there seems to be an unlimited scope for wind power. Could you tell us a little bit about the effect that in terms of how the coal plants work and the gas plants? Yeah, absolutely. So 
when you're talking about that threshold we had back when wind first coming on the system, that was we had to figure out how we could reliably interconnect wind onto the system. As most of you know, wind is intermittent, so it comes on when it wants and it goes off on when it wants. So at that point, we hadn't figured out from a reliability perspective how we could integrate it. Typically, a system can handle 10% of its overall capacity in wind in a reliable fashion. Because when you have wind on board, you need to make sure that you have a backup generation running behind it so that when it falls off, you've got instant generation to take its place. So we had the threshold in place until we figured out how we could reliably interconnect wind. And now we're looking at, you know, 10%. You don't typically want to go over 10% of wind as a part of your overall generation capacity. Um, because, like I said, it is so intermittent. And if you have too much wind and it all falls off and you don't have enough generation in the background to meet it, you have problems with the system. Is that what you're... Wind's a great renewable resource, um, but like I said, it, it, it does what it wants. And so, yeah, always have to make sure you have a plan B. Thanks, Dwayne, for your question. Joe, I think we're going to try to get other people. You've already asked a question, so I'm going to invite everybody to ask a question. And if maybe at the end, yeah. if there's no one else that wants to come up, I'll get you to ask. But and you seem to have a lot of uh, pointed questions that um, I like to hear about, but we just because of time constraints. And Joe, I'm happy to have a conversation with you offline if you have more information after. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like I said, I'm happy to meet with you after. Um, if we have too many questions here, that's fine. Uh, my name is uh, Pat McDonald, and I'm kind of a ASO web page groupie. You're looking at the CSD, yes. Current Supply and Demand page, one and of my favorites. I'm uh, somewhat confused uh, when you um, say they're generating, like the tar sands plants. Um, does that include their, their net to the... Net to grids? Yeah, because yeah. obviously those big places uh, yeah. consume a lot of power, too. Mm -hmm. So that 12,000... Um, number that I quoted. Yes. That's what that is. So that doesn't take what we're talking about is cogeneration or behind the fence generation. Yes. I believe is what you're referring yes. to. Some of the big industry players up specifically around the Fort McMurray area will actually have their own generating plant on their property, and they will use that to supply their own needs. Any excess generation that they have, they then push back onto the grid as a business. Um, and I've, so that number that I'm giving you does not include behind-the-fence generation. Okay, that, that would apply to Medicine Hat, too, because... Yes, Medicine Hat has their own... So when they uh, <clears throat> generate 87 megawatts to the grid, that doesn't include the city of Medicine Hat? No, they're, they're, they're their own little island. Okay. Uh, Medicine Hat is connected to our grid when they need excess supply if they're not having enough to look after their right. own needs. And that applies like <clears throat> the U of A generates... Um, they're, they're that about that is what we have to be able to meet the needs of Albertans at any given time. So, so that doesn't include, we don't include behind the fence load, or sorry, behind the fence generation in our numbers. We, okay. we have them, but that's not that's not always available to us. So, like the U of A is. Last follow up. No, yeah. it's okay. Oh, okay. It's, it's, okay. The U of A is. Um, when they're generating to the net of 15 megawatts, that's to the Alberta grid and yes. not to the campus. If it's beyond their own needs, yes. then it's to the Alberta grid, okay. correct? Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for your question. Did, did that follow up properly? Yes. Okay. My name is Lawrence Hoy, and uh, the one thing that you didn't mention 
which you have already published, is the ultimate cost relative to all of these proposed uh, transmission grids that you're adding to. I believe the figure that I've currently seen is something like, for the average household consumer, $21 per month. That's your figures. And my question is, if this is what's going to happen per month to the average homeowner, the next question is, what sort of effect is this going to have on industry in Alberta with these tremendous rates that they're going to face probably forever? No, fair enough. Um, so that the ISO doesn't hasn't used the number of $20 per month. What we typically say is it's about a for every billion dollars spent on infrastructure, it's about a dollar per month on, a, on your average residential customer bill. I've got to challenge you on that That's one okay. because, in fact, I have a publication okay. from AESO that says $21 per month for the average household consumer. Sure. Well, if you, do you have that? Because I haven't seen I don't have it with me. Okay. But you I look ha- up your own it. website and you'll see it there. Okay. Fair enough. So... I, I'm not aware of that number. It's not a number that I've ever used publicly, and I know it's not a number that we have in any of our, that I know of publications. We say it's about an average of a dollar per every billion on your residential customer. It is paid, uh, the, it's based on usage. So the people who use the transmission system the most pay for the most of the cost of transmission. So it's split. Industry pays for 80% of the cost of transmission. Residential pays for 16%, and farms pay for 4%. Uh, As for how it's going to impact industry in the long run, I I can't really speak to how it's going to impact industry. Um, I know we work very closely with industry. um, And again, that's based on an AUC government regulation, so it's kind of hard. we got a lineup now. Thanks, Lawrence, for your question. Uh, Can you... Hi, my name is Knut Peterson. Thanks for coming, Vianne. My pleasure. Vianne, I, my question would be, uh, the, on the, on the big, in the big plan, is the uh, Madeline line crucial to your, to your to plan? The, Madeline line isn't necessarily, it's not a part of our plan because it's a separate, it's a... It's I, 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 that's, but is it, is it crucial to your, to your long-term plan? No. Is that that there's a... It's not going a, to Montana. It's not even identified in our long-term plan. Okay. So there's, that, so there's no uh, power going to be parked in the Lethbridge area? There's no power what, sorry? There's not, not going to be any capacity of power parked in, in the Lethbridge area? For the Maddow line? No. If, if the Maddow line does not go ahead, there's not going to be a extra capacity no, parked well, here. Well, we're actually, that's part of the reason we're working on the reinforcement of the system down here. So we'll have further capacity with the line that's being built between Lethbridge and Pincher Creek, as well as we have the Southern Alberta Transmission Reinforcement System, which will eventually connect up into that South Calgary project I was talking about so that you can get power around Southern Alberta. Okay. But the Maddow line isn't in our long-term plan because it is a private investment transmission line. Thanks, Knut, for your question. My name is Larry Alford. Thank you for your presentation. I, I don't know anything about electrical, but my experience in the financial industry that has uh, 100, 100 more regulators and self-regulators than is shown on this chart 
is that uh, if you have enough regulators and you pay their salary and you choose who to hire, that they will sell out the public for their private interests. And I'm wondering if there is anybody in that slide mm -hmm. who is hired and paid by the public and not paid or hired by the electrical industry. So which one of these are paid? Which one? Of anyone. These are, anyone. So, so, so I just want to clarify. Are you asking which ones are not for profit and which ones are for profit? No, which ones are not paid, funded, or selected by the electrical industry? Which ones represent truly the interests of the public, don't have an appointment politically, or a salary to represent? Well, the ISO is the independent system operator. With How no are they? Who pays them? So um, the industry pays your salary. No, part industry, part ratepayers. So for every for every megawatt that's traded from a generation side, like I said, 17.5 cents, which is regulated by the AUC as well, it's approved, pays for part of the ISO. The other part is the transmission tariff, which is again regulated by the AUC. And those people are chosen to be as a part of that by whom? Political appointment? Uh, public? You mean how are the ISO people chosen? Anybody, yes. So I went through um, a headhunting company. I applied through a headhunter company. And your directors are appointed or chosen or hired no, the independently? No, person, the only person appointed is the chairman of the board. Everyone else is just like any other company. We post jobs on our website. Anyone's free to apply for those jobs. So where do we find in that, in that flowchart the people who are truly representing the public interest and not just representing the industry or their appointment or their loyalty to the people who gave them a job? Well, I, all which I think is which is what no, we've seen in the financial enough. industry no, is pr pretty much brought us to economic failure in, almost, and we're doing that with the electrical system. I don't see the objectiveness, the the unbiased. That's fair enough, but all I can tell you is the ISO is mandated to work in the public interest of Albertans, and we don't have a financial. So interest. is the financial industry. It doesn't regulators. make we don't we don't Thanks gain anything from a transmission transmission line being built. We don't gain anything from a generator facility being built. We need to keep the lights on in the province. It sounds like a PR well, thing for the industry, I guess, is my enough. point. That's, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Larry, for your question. Uh, Bev? Hi, I'm Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Thank Hi, you Bev. for your presentation. Thank you. And I hope you'll tell us what gasification is on another occasion. I've, Did you find out? I'm just, I'm working on it right there. Okay. <laughs> okay, so my question has to do with the three parts that you showed us from power generation till the power comes to our home. So that's the, <clears throat> just let me pull that slide And you've got three parts. You've got, the first part is deregulated. So you're t referring to the yes. slide? Yes. Okay. The first part is deregulated. Mm -hmm. The next part is regulated. That's where you come in. And then the third part where it's given to us in our homes, it's regulated. Deregulated. It's deregulated. So I'd like to understand what is the philosophy behind this um, mishmash of regulation and deregulation? And could you explain that, please? I the would philosophy? love to, but again, that's, that's the Department of Energy. That's a question for the Minister of Energy and the Department of Energy. The ISO was formed through government, and it's the provincial government that deregulated the industry. So I can't speak to the philosophy behind deregulation. It just seems to me that if... Um, it would be nice to see a financial breakdown of how much it would cost to have it all under one system, regulated or deregulated, whereas this mishmash gives the impression that we actually have some power, which we do not, over the cost of our electricity. Thanks, Beth, for your question. Uh, next, please. Well, yeah, my name is Ken Eichel. I've talked to you before about this electricity business. But uh, I'd like to ask you a question. And um, at one time, there used to be a city's compensation uh, 
that came back to, um, like, for example, the city of Lethbridge. They changed it to transmission compensation, and there used to be a check, uh, check uh, flowback of 3 to $4 million. But uh, that somehow has changed to another, another uh, routing or another name. Uh, could you tell me uh, what, uh, basically what happened to it? I honestly, I don't know what you're referring to. Is it a, was it a, a credit on your bill, or is it from a provincial perspective? Yeah, it was a credit that came back from the power pool. It used to come from power pool, eh? Okay. Then, then it came from ASO, uh, and it was classified as city's compensation. The city received a check for $4 million, supposedly, for transmission lines and whatever whatever in the city. And um, then they changed it to transmission uh, uh, instead of city's compensation, they changed it, changed it to transmission compensation. Mm -hmm. But now you don't see it. You don't see it anymore. And I'm just wondering uh, what happened to it. I apologize. I'm not exactly sure what you're referring to, but I can find out for you before I leave today. I, I'm not aware of. That. I know there's definitely from a municipality's perspective. I know they do um, benefit from having transmission infrastructure within their area. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm. And if that's what you're referring to, I can find out the specifics. Yeah. And I know they, st they still get that. But uh, Yeah, but what would the name be? I'll have to find out for you. I apologize. Because, I don't uh, know. Because it's hidden now. We don't see it. We used to see it all the time. Okay. I could look on the financial statement. I could see $4 million coming back to the city for all their lights. and For the infrastructure? Four, four feet apart. The more lights they put in, the more money they get. Okay. But, um, yeah, I would like to know. Yeah, absolutely. I, no, yeah. I will find that out for you and get it back yeah. to you. There's one other question. I'm, I'm bidding on electricity. Um, um, does uh, Wind Power have preferen preference on bidding? Uh, right now, how do wind they Wind takers, they're a zero price taker. They're so, zero? yeah, wind goes in at zero. So they take wherever the pool settles. Okay. Yep. But they don't take preference over the other, other generators? No. Oh, okay, thank you. Thanks and I should have prefaced this Q&A with I am, I'm not an engineer and I do not know all the answers. Um, I'll do the best, but anything that I can't answer, I will get back to you for sure. <clears throat> My name is Frances Schultz, and I know that you have been saying all along, A, that only the the chair the um, minister only appointed the chair of the board, mm -hmm. but your own chart says that he appoints all the board board members. And my question is, how can you be an independent organization if the minister of energy is the one who appoints AESO no. board members? And I should, as it says, no, fair enough. And I should fix that. So yeah. the, the minister of energy does appoint the chairman of our board, absolutely. And then we go through a recruitment process for the for the extra board members. But he makes the final choice. It is approved by the minister, correct? So, okay, that's what I wanted to know. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Francis. My name is Sydney Archer. Uh, in your presentation, you mentioned that infrastructure. Oh, sorry. Uh, infrastructure upgrades haven't been done in 20 years. Why is that? That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I can. I <laughs> I'm sure you do, Joe. <laughs> I, so previous to the ISO being formed, the power pool, like I said, was two existing, uh, two different organizations. The power pool was at that point still a not-for-profit organization, and we were in charge of the market and letting, keeping the lights on in the province. The transmission administrator was a for-profit company, and I believe uh, when they were taken over, it was um, ESBI out of Ireland. And so they were on, and this is just... 
I want to say an assumption. This is my personal opinion. They were on a five-year contract. And so it's, you know, how, so they planned within the five years that they were there. The ISO and the T are now not-for-profit. When did that occur? Uh, 2002, oh. the ISO was formed. All right. So, you know, now we, we're tasked with planning well out into the future. Great. So if that's... Thanks, Cindy. Well, we have, uh, before Joe, you talk, um, or ask your question, we have about three minutes left, so if there's any other persons with questions, please come up. Um, yeah, just so you know, I, I am a transmission engineer, former transmission engineer, an engineering manager, and I was a lineman. Just uh, give you a little bit of background, and I will let you know that your transmission lines have a lifespan of about 100 years, just so you know. So if you didn't change your new car that you bought last year, it's time in this model of 20 years we got to do something with our transmission system. My last question is simply this. It's a very basic question. Now, I've done a lot of research on this, and I have a, a reputation out here about transmission lines. But it's very simple. Here's my question. Alberta, before deregulation, had a model electricity system. It was one of the most reliable and cheapest in all of North America. Fast forward to today, you have one of the most unreliable systems in all of Canada. You pay the highest prices in Canada and some of the highest prices in all of North America. Your own expert, your economist says deregulation's not working. Please explain. I don't think you're going to like my answer. <laughs> so I really cannot speak to deregulation. That was a government policy, and it was a government decision. The ISO is there to maintain the reliability of the system, and we do have a very reliable system to date. Um, we have won some awards from the NERC, uh, NERC which is the uh, Northern Electricity Responsibility Council. Um, we have managed to keep the lights on with a very congested and constrained transmission system. Um, and as for deregulation, like I said, I... I, I can't speak to government policy, and I can't speak to government t decisions. The best person to talk to about that would be your local MLA or the Department of Energy in regards to deregulation. Okay. <clears throat> well, that is going to conclude this session um, today. I'd like to let's once again uh, thank Leanne Dawkins for coming in to speak with us today. And I want to thank you all for your questions. Um, being an informed citizen is very important, so I appreciate all your questions. More people got clarification and got answers to these questions so that we're all a better citizen. Um, again, thank you for coming out, and we hope to see you either next Monday, Tuesday, or Thursday. We have a busy week next week, and hope to see you there. Thank you.